It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome to the latest episode of our new podcast, Go Atlanta, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. We're here every Thursday to introduce you to the most interesting people, places, and things to do in and around Atlanta. This is the podcast to get you ready for the weekend. I'm food dining and living editor, Lagaya Figueres, and I'm going to introduce you to the folks behind a unique concept that combines distilled spirits with artsy entertainment. This is Rodney Ho, entertainment reporter, and I'm going to explore number one songs, including one by Soldier Boy. And we'll also tell you about a festive new holiday attraction at Fernbank. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. This is Go Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. First up, we're going to talk about something uh, Lagaya got to do recently that uh, she hadn't done in a very long time. Oh my gosh, I haven't gone out and hung out at bars that had live music in, in in a while. I have had to be really COVID safe during during this whole period because of my role as a caregiver. So we finally feel really safe just about going and hanging out at bars. So I brought my husband willingly. He came along to the Distillery of Modern Art. It's been open since May. It's an all-in-one distillery, tasting room, art gallery, entertainment venue in Chambly. And so randomly when I was there, I met founder Seth Watson and general manager Henry Rosenbaum. And I was so excited about it that I asked them to come on the podcast. So we have a couple of guests here with us today. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us, guys. We're really excited to do this. Good. Absolutely. Welcome. So just to start, can you guys give a bit of a background on how Distillery of Modern Art came about? Absolutely. So I personally have been in the hospitality business for nearly 20 years, Uh, previously owned a business that handled production and design for private events. We were doing lighting, staging, decor, sound, prop fabrication, furniture building, set design. And we're creating probably about 400 different style of events every year for uh, nearly 18 years. I had sold that business with the intention of creating something from the ground up. 
realized that there was a hole in the market for distilled spirits in the state of Georgia. And simply because the laws are so difficult for people to get in, that there are very few that have actually um, act, been able to accomplish it. And so hit the drawing board in early 2018 to learn all the background I possibly could in the distilled, distilled spirits area, specifically craft, um, not only in the Atlanta area, but in the state. And just started to travel for about three and a half, four years while I was planning this project, visiting all sorts of craft distilleries, learning from the owners and the staff, just trying to figure out where people went wrong, what type of roadblocks they hit, and realized that so much of it was legal issue and tax issues that it made it very difficult for people to get into the industry. So I hired the right people, started to do my due diligence, brought on a consultant in the spirits industry specifically to help me learn the things I didn't know, found a piece of property in Chambly that I thought would be excellent to build this project in, then started recipe develop. And throughout those few years, I probably was in 60 or 70 different uh, facilities and learned so much, realized I was never going to be that master distiller, and then I needed to find somebody awesome. Um, and so I was able to go on a hunt for quite some time leading up to COVID and paused. We had found the building, jumped through all the hurdles we needed to really get an understanding for how, what, when, where, all of the sort of pertinent information. Um, was able to raise enough money to get started. And then we started demolition on our building. And sure enough, COVID hit in March of 2020. And we paused for a solid year. And right after, um, probably waited till about January of 21 to actually start construction on the interior of our building. While that was taking place, I started hunting not only the states, but around um, the country for really good staff. And so Henry here is an old friend um, who has also been in hospitality a very long time. And he was at the time working out of Denver, Colorado, and I desperately needed somebody to come in and be my GM that I could trust, that knew the food and beverage world well enough, at least uh, to a point where we could hit the ground running. And he graciously moved to Atlanta to help me get this project rolling. Go ahead, Henry. I was just going to say, I uh, was, you know, the, the, the timing was really fortuitous. Um, I was, Seth had, you know, I'd been chatting with Seth and tasted some of his, um, so some of the test trials of, of, of the liquor and, and seen some of the mock-up and design plans. And I, at, at the time I was looking for something new and um, I am not a person who, I, I kind of need to see what's in front of me. I, I have a tough time visualizing stuff. So if you put me in an empty room, I can't see what it looks like finished. But uh, one of the few times where that has been different is when I walked into the space and I immediately saw what, what it was going to be. And it was I was only too happy to accept and, and thrilled to be part of the team. So I want to talk a little bit about what happens in that space because it's more than a distillery. You've got the, the bar lounge area. Um, talk to us about, and, and, and I mean, it's an art gallery too, right? Talk to us about um, all the different ways that you're using this space. And I'd also like to know why you chose Chambly specifically. I mean, it's real, there's a lot of uh, things happening in Chambly and you're right off of kind of tucked in the historic part just off of um, Peachtree Industrial. So one of the major things when we were looking to design this place, figure out the brand as a whole, one thing that I picked up on being in hospitality for so long, being around artists, that most of the time there are all of these 
uh, financial relationships with artists. People all claim to be collaborative. They all claim to be, you know, trying to work together for the common goal. But at the end of the day, it was really about money. And as I'm sure most of you know, local artists have a hard time breaking into an industry that is not only close knit, but really for a artist to be in a gallery, there's a catch 22. They had to have previously been in a gallery. Um, and when they are in a gallery, they're giving up anywhere from 40 to 60% commission to the gallerist. So when I was thinking on the bigger picture, two things struck me as, um, almost symbiotic. So the way people view spirits and the way people view art are almost identical. So there's a subjectivity to them. Somebody might see a piece of art and think it's the best thing they've ever seen. Somebody might see the same piece of art and think that it's it's not so good at all. And so the same can be said about spirits. You can put a $3,000 bottle of whiskey on the table and somebody, again, might think it's the best and somebody may not understand why it's priced so high. And so while we were doing blind taste tests with the spirits, the most obvious thing came to me, which was the subjectivity. And so while we were designing the brand, the goal was to create this ethos of, of art and spirit as being sort of the same. Um, <clears throat> I really wanted to create a space that <sighs> invokes senses in general, right? You want to see, smell, touch, taste. And so the entire design was meant to have somewhere to look, something to smell, something to taste. And so all the things that I loved from art, creating events, and this new sort of area for me in Distilled Spirits, I wanted to combine those things. So we commissioned seven different artists, uh, all local. We gave them a sample of one of the spirits and said, okay, now create a piece of 40 by 40 um, abstract artwork on canvas that speaks to that spirit in the bottle. And from there, we then got that piece of art from them digitized it and use it on the interior of that specific spirit. So we have seven spirits, seven different um, inaugural artists, and each piece of their art has been digitized. And since it's abstract, we were able to cut it up and put it on the interior of these bottles. Uh, being a liquor brand, it's very difficult to do anything to give back to a community in general. And so one of the things we desperately wanted to do was create this gallery space where local artists and only local artists could come in and show their art and we would take zero commission from them. That was a big deal for us and for artists because again, if a local artist, their livelihood is selling art and they have a $2,000 piece of art and they have to give up 50% of that to the gallerist, there's just a huge loss for them. They can never really get above water. So we dedicated this 950 square foot space to local artists we have a submission form on our website that these artists can um, just submit their artwork, we curate, and then we pair up a complimentary artist with them to show in the gallery, and we rotate the art every two months. And so that's just a really awesome way to give back to the community, so to speak, specifically to the artist community. And we use local artists for murals and for different parts of the design throughout the building. So you'll see a, an artist's touch from our menu all the way through um, our physical bottles, our glassware, even our dishes that we use for some of the food we serve at the bar. Um, and so all that sort of combined came into this bigger ethos of an art-focused um, distillery, event space, and art gallery. The Atlanta metro area is such an alive place with arts and, and food culture and 
things to do and things to see and, and ju- ju- just the population and, and being able to combine a few of those elements and, and hopefully contribute to it uh, is, is a big part of it. Uh, coming from Denver and New York, I visited Atlanta quite a bit, uh, but I, I've never lived here and there's just so much happening here. And uh, th- this really struck all of us as a win-win proposition where we get an opportunity to showcase different artists we get a rotating gallery display so we can always keep that room looking fresh and hopefully be grow help grow in some small way the art scene as well and and people can enjoy a cocktail while they're looking at a lot of uh new and exciting artists uh that are right here often literally in the neighborhood now i visited you guys on an evening that you had live music obviously you've got your art gallery is there other programming that people can expect if they visit Sure. So the idea of this space is to be multi-purpose. So on any given night, we may have a celloist, a jazz band, a live art um, installment happening or a live painting taking place. We do yoga on Sundays. We've got belly dancing coming up in here. Uh, perform literally any type of art. The goal is to have that on in focus at any given time. So every time you come, there's more than likely another piece of art to take a look at. There's a new cocktail to try. There's something actively happening in the building. Uh, in our event space, anything from a corporate event to a wedding to a uh, networking group. Um, we recently had a, a really excellent 15-piece Haitian uh, drum band in for someone's birthday. And so there was this lively thing taking place in the event space. The bar is separated and had its own thing going on. Um, people rent out different spaces of the room for tastings and for small dinners. Um, so there's generally something happening here. The energy is consistent and always something new to see. Um, I'll back up real quick because you'd asked about Chambly and the choice of this area was very specific to me. So the, the distilling world, especially in the metro area, is very small. And one of my first ideas was to look in the Midtown area, look over on West Midtown where things were growing at the time. And what I found is that it was overly saturated. And I did not want to be in some warehouse park or connected into some major thoroughfare. I kind of wanted to dig a path for us to help create uh, and expand Shambly's footprint. They've been growing for a while over here and it's quiet which is you know, a good thing and a bad thing, but we desperately wanted to have our own unique area where we could draw attention to the community at large. And that gave us an opportunity to stand out. Um, and Chambly's not only close to other locations, so most feedback that we've gotten from people over the years, being in the events world and just generally being about town, was that people don't like going into town all the time. They don't want to deal with parking. They find traffic to be a nightmare. They think that it's oversaturated. So being in Chambly, it's uniquely positioned between the suburbs and, if you want to call it, so Midtown, Buckhead, in town. We sort of meet in the middle there. So people can leave town. People can come in from the suburbs. We're very close to Martyr for public transport. Um, And we're also very close to the movie studios over here in Doraville. And the goal for there was to create this path between you connect from Buckhead to Brookhaven to Chambly now, strolling into Doraville, which is right next door, and there's this massive movie studio being built. We just want to be among artistic and interesting people so that we can draw them here and feed off each other. 
And so while Shambly is quiet, it's growing and we wanted to be a part of that growth. And let's talk a little bit about the product now. Uh, I appreciate the attention um, and thought behind your labels, but uh, people who drink also want it to taste good. So tell us a little bit about um, your portfolio. I know that when I was there, you were just days away from releasing a gin, which is my personally favorite spirit, and I'll be looking forward to trying that. But what else um, do you have in your portfolio? Henry? We have uh, currently, uh, by the end of December, we will have four products available at retail and everywhere. We are actually in the midst of bottling our Amaro Peach right now, which we're really, really excited about. And we're doing pre-sale for that and uh, doing a launch party next week. And um, that's it's, it's a really, really fantastic product. Amaro, of course, is uh, an Italian-style digestif. Amaro means bitter in Italian. And... Both Seth and I uh, and Matt, our distiller, have a really strong affinity for uh, the Amaro, the Amaris that, that that come from Italy. And Seth uh, wanted to create something to sort of spruce up the, the back page on, on restaurant menus, which are very often kind of the same thing over and over again. And with Amaro's growing a little bit in popularity, they're, they're moving – I would say from a niche spirit to a cult spirit, but people are beginning to have more awareness of it. Um, and just a really unique flavor profile with this herbaceousness, it's slight bitterness. And then because we are Georgia, uh, the distillery, we, we of course add some peach to it as well. It's always got to be about where you're from with Amaro. And so we, we, we've had a really great response to it. We're very, very excited about it. We also have our Atlanta vodka, which is a straight vodka made from German wheat. Um, that's just a really clean, delicious, balanced vodka. We really, really enjoy it. And it's something I have that to we tell wanted. you, yes, yes, it's it's both. It's it's clean, but it's only two times distilled, right? And with that soft wheat, sometimes you know how it can be so distilled, like five times distilled, six times distilled, that it actually doesn't have that much flavor. Yours really has some um, that buttery characteristic. Um, it's a it's a very smooth product. Thank you so much for that compliment. Um, that's exactly what we love to hear. Uh, with with the, the kind of thing we wanted is we wanted something with character, but something that would also have the, the, those clean qualities because that's really what we looked for in vodka. And we really wanted to thread the needle with that for people who did want something clean and crisp, but but someone who maybe wants to enjoy vodka just need on the rocks and and has a little bit more character to it. And it, it's really nice to hear that that's how it's been received. So I guess before we wrap it up here, tell us, I mean, people probably want to know, oh, actually, you, there you have a few more products. Let's zoom through those. Yes, I, w I will get through those as well. So we have a, a peach flavored vodka as well, which is really, really lovely. Um, we, you know, the flavored vodka market is, is can be kind of a landmine filled area, but we, we had, ours has some really great peach flavor. And the nicest uh, compliment that we get about it all the time is that people who say, I don't really like flavor vodkas, but this is fantastic. And there's no higher praise for that. So that is current. Th those two are currently available now. Our Nouveau Gin is resting and will be bottled, uh, I believe within the next 10 days. Seth, is that right? In the next 10 days or so? We are drinking it this morning. So it is, yeah. it will be ready in two weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to, you know, we're just getting ready to bottle that. And so we will have those four products uh, by the available before Christmas uh, to sell and, and, and to take home. And um, the next one down the pike will be corn whiskey. Um, 
that is really, once we get into the whiskeys, what we're talking about is a when is it ready game. And the answer is we will know when it's ready, but we can't tell you when that time is. And so we're <laughs> tasting it on a weekly basis. And as soon as we have a ballpark for, for what that will be, I think the expectation roundly will be that it will be in the first half of 2023 that we will release the corn whiskey. Um, and then after that, bourbon and rye, and that'll be a little bit further out. I would expect that at the earliest in early 2024. But again, we will know when it's ready, but we don't know when it will be ready. Terrific. And if folks want to come uh, and take a tour, uh, do we need reservations? Is there a fee? Yes. Uh, the, the answer is yes to both. You are free to give us a call and make a reservation, or you can go right on our website. Uh, tour is $15 and includes a cocktail and a taste of three of our spirits, uh, along with uh, a, an in-depth history and 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 uh, explanation of what we do and how we do it and all of the things that, that make us unique and that we're so proud to show off to everybody. And the website is for everybody? Distilleryofmodernart.com. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, welcome to, to Chambly. Guys, thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure to be here. We really appreciate it. This is Go Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean Breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back on Go Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and now we're going to talk about what we have that's new. And uh, one thing, Rodney has written about something that is of great interest to him in particular. Yeah, I'm a complete radio dork. I grew up with Casey Kasem, loved the countdown. So when I heard about, uh, actually, when I discovered Tom Brehan, he's a music critic at Stereogum, he, about four years ago, he started writing essays on every single number one song that Billboard Hot 100 ever had, which is over 1,100 songs. And he's about 900 songs in. He started with Ricky Nelson's um, Little Pity, Pity poor, little, poor, poor Little, little Fool. Poor Little Fool. Yep. Do you remember that song? I don't. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, I don't remember it. I wasn't alive, no, but I no. know it. Yeah. And, you know, he's currently up to 2004, so he's doing, like, Usher's Confessions Part 2 at this point. But the book, it, you know, is an offshoot. It's basically he picked 20 of the most important songs in his mind that were kind of rupture points in the pop music continuum. Like, and some of them are really obvious. Beatlemania, Michael Jackson's Thriller album, Britney Spears, you know, coming out of nowhere in, in, in you know, 1997 or 1998, I think, with you know, baby one more time. Those types of things were obvious. But then he also picked some less obvious ones, including in it, you know, out of Georgia, he didn't end up focusing on any songs by like Ray Charles or, or Gladys Knight or Outkast or TLC or anybody Usher. None of them were uh, picked, but he ended up picking the first one, Soldier Boy, and then Ray Shrimode, which I, I'm still not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but the reason he picked Soldier Boy, which is fascinating, is that he was the first um, artist to really take advantage of the internet back in 
2007 and use it as an outlet to really promote his song. You know, he, he promoted Crank That through multiple outlets. And at the time, he, um, you know, he used YouTube, which had just started, to create a dance. He, he, he just had this real smart sensibility of promotion and propelled that song to number one. Um, you know, you can argue, yeah, Soldier Boy is probably not going to end up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but he really was the first to sort of pave the way for virtually every artist afterwards in terms of promotion. You know, Drake, That's Taylor fascinating. Swift. What a cool project! What were some of the other like historic? Um, some of them were, yeah, not as obvious as you'd think. Uh, you know, like he picked a George McRae song to sort of identify the first like big disco song in 1974. He didn't focus on Casey and the Sunshine Band or the Bee Gees. He picked an, a, a song that was kind of more that he felt w propelled the world into that into the disco world so yeah. to speak that was that was rock your baby uh i believe it was 74 correct and it, um you know yeah. it's not a it's not a household you know if you're going to pick you know 10 disco songs off your head that's not the one you're necessarily going to pick but it was you know instrumental in his mind he 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 created a strong argument for that song yeah and not everybody would necessarily agree of course this is his opinion and of course the first rap song ever was ultimately uh that went number one was vanilla ice's ice ice baby which is it's kind of embarrassing Sad. because yeah. there were plenty of great acts, you know, Run DMC, you know, you could name a, a gazillion acts in the 80s that deserved to be the first number one. I mean, even MC Hammer didn't go number one with You Can't Touch This. And that was more because they didn't release it as a single fully huh. or like they only released it partially. So it ended up peaking at number two. Um, but. You know, it made for a very funny chapter. I got to say, the Vanilla Ice chapter is very, very amusing. Yeah. Um, are there any people that he focused on because of, say, their particular, like, their use of an instrument? Or, oh, like, T-Pain is a great one because he's the one who used auto-tune. And, you know, even though Cher had, they, they'd used it a little bit with Cher's Believe in 1999, mm -hmm. he really, like, he used it heavily in all his songs. And he became both hugely successful but also a target. Uh, you know, people just, some people just hated his guts and it ended up like for a while, he, I think he went through a period where he was like super depressed and just felt completely out of it. But I think now he's, he's moved to Atlanta. Actually, he was from Florida, but he was heavily influenced by the Atlanta sound uh, at the time. Um, but he, I think he's made a bit of a resurrection. I think people have respected the fact that autotune is now just part of the equation. Right. And I mean, it's not. I mean, it was originally intended to to make people sound better, even if they weren't. I think. But, but there was this function which allowed it, you to sort of use it to the max. Right. Like but they, he used it as like like a different an instrument. Sound. He basically yeah. turned his voice into a specific instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and some people loved it, and some people just even to this day hate it. Right. And we should also talk about because we didn't we didn't mention uh, Black Beatles, uh, which was the other thing that he, yeah, he focused um, on. I mean, Race Ramona are not like again they they aren't even you know, they aren't household names in many ways. I mean, they kind of came and went. They're smaller than Migos. And Migos came right after them with a number one song, actually, Bad and Bougie. But he chose Black Beatles because they um, took advantage of kind of the beginning of streaming and also that. There was this viral meme back in late 2016 for a handful of weeks. Everybody was doing something called the mannequin challenge where they just basically froze. And then a camera would sweep through everybody who's frozen and the song Black Beatles came on. And people used that song as the primary soundtrack. And it propelled the song to number one for several weeks. So they, they were kind of the precursor to a lot of people who have started using, you know, viral memes, you know, through TikTok to, right. to generate number one songs i mean you know right up to steve lacy right now yeah yeah that's the thing those that kind of thing is happening all the time now there are songs and, and that yeah just being the first one i mean he, mm -hmm. he's he, you know he, again they, they may not 
end up being the next Beatles, but they're important as part of history. So it's, it's fascinating from a historical perspective and he provides a lot of, you know, connections and even acts that never went number one. He's able to sort of tie them in like Bruce Springsteen never went number one. He was blocked off by Prince back in 1984. Dancing in the dark got held back by when doves cry. Right. And, but you know, he, he, he had a nice little graph about how Springsteen had nothing but respect for Prince and even showed up on stage and performed with Prince one time. Yeah. So they, 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 you know, they were both at the peak of their pop culture dominance at the same time. And somebody got blocked out. Yeah. You know, by the arbitrariness of being number one or not being number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and the thing is, we were talking yesterday about uh, the origin of this is the the Stereo Gum series that Tom Brand does called the Number Ones, and you know, this is just a small selection of them that's in his book. But he's been doing this for years, and I've been following it for years too. And on the posts on Stereo Gum, yeah, this comment um, section. Yeah. yeah, the comment section is fabulous. The people, um, it's a great community there who they add things to it and yeah, they talk about other number ones from other charts right right at, yeah at the they'll time. talk about the, you know what was number one around the world then um you know what the was the number that, one alternative rock song right. or r&b song right so i mean it's just a fascinating thing not only his essay on that particular song but you know you get down into the comments and and it's it's a great community that that basically expands on what he's already written. It's, yeah. it's great stuff. Yeah, this is music geekdom. <laughs> yeah, but that's a really cool project mass. because he can just go on forever. Well, not it. quite. I mean, he's doing three a week, so eventually he's going to reach present day. Right. He's, he's, he's got about 18 years to go plus whatever it takes going forward. So he's got at least, I don't know how long that's going to take him. I guess he's got a couple more years. A couple more years, I think, probably. Yeah, yeah. he'll catch up to present day. But then, then he can just do them as they happen, I guess. There you go. <laughs> exactly, which but, means he doesn't have to write as many because right. right now he's he's rushing his way through. Three a week is a lot. Right. But And then, you know, then it varies because songs will stay at number one for varying 16 amounts weeks, of time. 18 weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he almost did, um, you know, Lil Nas X's song, Old Town Road, which right. was number one for 19 weeks. That's the longest in history. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird how that happened. It's like the the charts have changed so much, and part of it is because oh yeah of, they weigh streaming and yeah they yeah. had to you know it used to be just sales and radio right. airplay and now now it's like multiple different aspects to right. try and judge what is a popular song now and of course now you can get you know Taylor Taylor Swift can release an album and all the songs end up in the top ten yeah. Yeah, it's like it's not controlled by the radio labels anymore. You know, right. the record labels no longer can just release one single, and that's the only thing that ends up on the chart. Right. Well, people don't realize that there was a time when the charts were primarily compiled from from what record stores reported, not necessarily yeah, what was sold. Before SoundScan in 1991, yeah. yeah. So there could be a little bit of quote manipulation and going yes, on. Oh, there. and you know, there was. Oh, I'm sure there undoubtedly was. Always. And, and that's part of why. And even radio airplay was manipulated yep. too. Mm-hmm. The radio charts were reported. And sometimes they would stick songs in that technically weren't even played. Right. <laughs> well, anyway, that's uh, I, I love this story, and obviously, I'm I'm a bit of a geek about this stuff myself. Uh, but you can read uh, Rodney's story on the number ones uh, online at ajc.com, and I, I would encourage you to check it out at stereogum.com too. Uh, it's it's a fascinating read. 
and we also wanted to talk about uh, an upcoming food cover story about root veggies, which I love. Yeah, they can find it right now at AJC.com. This week's food cover story is on root vegetables. We tried to make it, though, really sort of appropriate to holidays, cooking for the holidays, elevated root vegetable dishes. So you know how sometimes you can just... I don't know, think carrots or turnips or whatever. And it's just sort of you think same old, same old direction. And it's the same old dish that you make. So these are four different recipes that um, sort of give, put a twist on on gnarly root vegetables. <laughs> yeah, three of them are side dishes. And um, one of them is actually a dessert, which is fun to take root vegetables into the dessert territory. And um, this piece was, uh, and recipes are from Virginia Willis. She writes periodically for us. Folks know her as a well-known Southern um, food writer. So Virginia's story is online and at AJC.com, and it's in today's food section. And the other thing that is online right now, and it'll appear in the Go Guide tomorrow, is um, Henry's Dining Review. So if you don't feel like cooking with root vegetables, maybe you want to check out the latest restaurant that he reviewed, and that's Cuttlefish in Decatur. People know um, Brush Sushi Sakaya, and that's an indicator that closed in October because it was relocating to Buckhead. So the business partners, Chef Jason Liang and, and John Chen, they replaced brush with basically what they're calling like casual omakase. And so that's what cuttlefish is. And um, it's been open since since late October. So supposedly where brush is going to be this more like special occasion type destination in Buckhead when it opens, cuttlefish, they're intending it to be more of like an everyday casual restaurant to meet the sort of casual vibe of Decatur, I suppose. So cuttlefish indicator. Check out the Henry's Review online at AJC.com right now and in Friday's Go Guide. Cool. And uh, Rodney is going to be uh, checking out something at Fernbank, which is, it sounds like it's holiday related, right? But it's not. It's actually seasonal. Um, it's okay. going to run through the winter because it's a nighttime event in the evening. And obviously, once the sun starts setting too late, they can't do it anymore. So it's, mm. a, it's a completely night immersive, multi-sensory use of their wild woods in the back, 10-acre area in the back. And they, you know, it, it includes sound and visuals so it, and it's supposed to celebrate kind of the local fauna and and animals in the area cool it's supposed to celebrate those and um, you know it, it's not as it's not frenetic kind of like you know the um, the holiday atlanta you know botanical gardens holiday lights show is much more like yeah it's festive and really right big i think th this is more contemplative i think it's a much calmer experience yeah it's a different experience let's just say that very very different from what the botanical gardens does or yeah. even what you know the zoos illuminate cool. is it illuminate i think it's illuminate illuminates i think it's illuminates yeah mm, yeah i think it's just it's just different and i you know i think it, it seems like a nice thing to do if you're in a, a little bit more of a calmer mood yeah that's great and it gives you something to do through the winter uh, which you know often it's hard to get us out of the house when it's cold <laughs> right <laughs> And uh, you also uh, uh, going to be talking to uh, Janelle Monet, right? That's right. She is, um, part, and it's been in the theaters in limited release. It's uh, Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel mm -hmm. with Daniel Craig and his arguably bad Southern accent. She, she, 
<laughs> is it good I, or bad? I, we it, can't decide. I, it, it feels like it's intentional, whatever it is. It, it does feel like it, fe- it feels a little over the top on purpose right. sometimes, I think. Uh, yeah. In this case, it's, uh, you know, there it's a rich guy and, you know, he comes along for the ride. And I think Janelle Monet plays the ex-wife of the writ of Ed Norton's like multi-billion dollar Elon Musk character, you know, and she's very bitter because I think he took her idea and you know, he's just one of the many people who could be the motive right to have a motive right so it's like you know again it's like clue and all those other yeah. murder mysteries yeah and, and I, I think it's it shows a different side of Janelle Monet. I think she does mostly pretty standard yeah she does a lot of dramatic roles so this I think is probably a little bit falls in a little bit more comedic <laughs> that's great yeah yeah I, and I loved the first one it was fun so all right. And what we're working on, I, I did want to mention um, uh, Wendell Brock, who wrote for us for, for many, many years and, and was a staffer for decades, literally. He's back writing with us periodically. He's got a new story coming, right? Yeah, I'm so glad that Wendell agreed. He's been enjoying retirement mm. since retired, what, um, end of May, something like that. Um, so it's always fun to get Wendell's byline in the AJC. And yeah, so um, we tapped him to write one of our um, Atlanta Culinary Journeys series. So that series we've been, um, and that's been going on since March. It's a year long, so we're at the tail end of it. And the people that we're focusing on is Reed and Sophia Trapani, and uh, people who are sort of you know into the the dining scene here in Atlanta. They will um, know them for their Latin vegan pop up called Happy Seed, which they started. March 2020. It seems like so many businesses started in March 2020. Uh, we had to make money somehow, right? Anyway, so we're going to be spotlighting them. But the fun part about it is that they are going to be opening in January their brick and mortar, which is called La Semilla. And what's actually fun, you know, semilla in Spanish is seed, but like little seed, right. seedling. Right. So they're opening the seedling. That makes perfect sense, right? It's going to be in... Reynolds Town is where that's going to be opening. So it's kind of fun. We're hitting them at just the right time, right before their opening. But it'll be an interesting story to take a look at how they became vegans, you know, learn the industry. He didn't, um, uh, Reed is is the, the chef, um, but he didn't attend culinary school. I mean, you know, so it's it's always interesting to learn people who didn't form, weren't formally trained. But yeah, so people can be looking for Wendell Brock's story on Happy Seed slash La Semilla coming soon in the AJC. And I guess the other thing that they should be looking for next week, I'm pretty excited for this one. We know that everybody's looking to like watch the budget a little bit, right? Yeah. Counting pennies, <laughs> like looking at the price of eggs going, ah, I don't oh, know. Yeah. Anyway, so we have a just-in-time-for-Christmas, a fancy but budget-conscious holiday menu. Cool. Really, it will not break the bank. Awesome. So it might even be mostly pantry items that you have apart from some proteins. That's nice. Yeah, stay tuned. Cool. So check that out in the food section coming up. And also check out uh, this week's Go Guide, which we're focusing on holiday cocktails. And the following week, we'll tell you about places to celebrate the new year for both families and adults. This Sunday's Living in Arts section on uh, December 18th will have an excerpt from the new book, Bigger Than Bravery. It's the final project of our late colleague and friend, Valerie Boyd. It's a collection of essays subtitled Black Resilience and Reclamation in a Time of Pandemic. And on Christmas Day, we'll visit with a local woman who has more than 1,000 nativity scenes. And now it's time for our Pet of the Week. 
Lengua, who is sponsored by Braves player Ozzy Albies, is low energy, sweet, and a pretty two-year-old girl. She knows her sit command very well and enjoys toys and treats. Lifeline's photo team took a little time to get to know her and she rewarded them with her best kisses. Lengua needs a special someone to give her confidence and lots of love. Someone who will allow her to blossom at her own pace. Is that you? Stop for a visit today at DeKalb County Animal Services at 3280 Chambly Dunwoody Road in Chambly or email at adoption at DeKalbCountyAnimalServices.com. You'll find a photo of Langwa and a link to her shelter profile on the story page for this podcast at AJC.com. Thanks for listening to Go Atlanta. We release new episodes every Thursday morning to keep you in the loop of all the great things Atlanta has to offer, whether it involves planning an outing or just giving you something to talk about with friends and family. So be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Thanks, as always, to Rodney Ho. Thank you, Shane. And to Guy Figueres. Shane, let's go to Distillery of Modern Art and sip some gin. I can't wait. I'm Shane Harrison. Thanks for listening to our brand new podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week for more ways to go Atlanta. Ocean Breeze, Tropical Beach, Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on.